This episode is brought to you by the American Waterways Operators. The American Waterways Operators is proud to serve as the tugboat, towboat, and barge industry's advocate, resource, and united voice for safe, sustainable, and efficient transportation on America's waterways, oceans, and coasts. This National Maritime Day, we honor the mariners who move America's cargo across our nation and the vital contributions they make to our economy, security, environment, and quality of life. To learn more about this essential industry and about the American Waterways operators, visit AmericanWaterways.com. Welcome back to Between the Levees. Today's guest came recommended by Mr. Mark Canoa himself. Finally, months later, I am joined by Ms. Jennifer Carpenter, the President and CEO of the American Waterways Operators. Ms. Carpenter, thank you for joining me. Tim, thanks for having me. Glad to be here. Glad we could finally make this work. Well, you know how this goes. Please tell me, where were you born? St. Louis, Missouri. And what led you to the industry eventually? Were your parents in the in the business? No. So I joke that even though I grew up in St. Louis, I had to come to D.C. to discover the barge industry. It's so crazy. You know, I grew up in St. Louis and, you know, I'd go down uh, to a Cardinals game or something at the old Bush Stadium and see the toes on the river. I had absolutely no idea what this industry was all about and how important it is and fell in love with it when I came to D.C. And now I am, you know, an evangelist for it. Well. I'm sure we'll follow your path all the way to D.C., but let's start back in, uh, in St. Louis. What did your parents do for a living? So my mom was a homemaker. My dad was a doctor and uh, yeah, grew up in St. Louis, kind of uh, West County. And when I go back out there now, it's just amazing to me to see how, uh, you know, that part of uh, the area has changed since I was there. Well, tell me about growing up in St. Louis. Yeah, so, you know, I was uh, just kind of a, an ordinary kid um, and uh, had no idea what I wanted to do when I grew up. At one point, I thought I might like to be a spy. Seriously, I thought it would be fun to be like a female James Bond, um, but uh, that probably wouldn't be uh, conducive to longevity. So I'm glad that I found the river industry instead. Were you drawn to anything in school growing up? Yeah, you know, I was always really interested in international relations, in politics and government, and I love the idea of kind of being an intermediary or a bridge builder, somebody who tried to kind of help people come together. So I was actually interested, once I decided being a spy wasn't the best uh, career path for me, I thought about going into the Foreign Service. Um, thought it might be interesting to be a diplomat. Um, eventually decided, you know, kind of the lifestyle of living here and there for a couple of years at a time was probably not what I wanted to do. But uh, that same desire to try to bring people together to work things out was really what attracted me to government relations. What along the way sort of brought that forward in your, in your, I guess, your, your life's purpose? What, what made you so interested in, in politics and government? You know, I'm just, I'm interested in how people come together to try to get things done. I'm interested in, you know, I, I kind of approach the world as most people have good hearts and are trying to do the right thing. And, you know, have a perspective which is informed by 
how they grew up and their personality and all of that. And, you know, so many of our challenges um, in life and in this world kind of happen when we're not listening to each other. We're not kind of taking the time to understand where are you coming from, which, you know, doesn't mean at all that we're always going to agree because no way we're not. But, uh, you know, just I think a real curiosity, Tim, like wanting to understand, hey, where are people coming from and recognizing that we're not always going to agree and people are coming from different places. There's a lot of stuff we got to get done. How do we do that? You know, how do we harness that? And, you know, I think there's there's a lot of that that goes into politics and government. And when it's working well, um, you know, that 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 is what it should be about. Right. In relative terms, this podcast has been an interesting, interesting, interesting experience. Uh, seeing all the backgrounds that come together to unite in this little industry we're we're trying to operate, um, but uh, it it is like I never was never drawn to politics or anything like that on my own. But it is very interesting to see the countless perspectives that walk into doing this one thing we're all trying to do but nonetheless uh did did you attend college i did and so that's how i got to washington dc i went to georgetown uh i did not play basketball of course georgetown was great at basketball when i was there uh they have not recovered their lost glory but uh that's how i got to dc where did you study in college so i studied international relations and then i had a minor in asian studies um, and actually uh, studied Chinese for three years in college, ended up uh, spending uh, quite a bit of time in Taiwan and actually doing a graduate fellowship there after I finished up. So that was a, a fascinating perspective. Uh, one of the things that helped me realize, you know, while traveling and learning about other cultures and experiencing them is something that I love fits into that just being curious about the world and about what makes other people tick um, was one of the things that helped me realize, you know, that the uh, kind of foreign service lifestyle wasn't something that I wanted, but it was a fantastic experience. Tell me about your time in Taiwan. It was really interesting. So I was first there for a summer between my junior and senior year of college um, studying Chinese. Um, and that was a fascinating experience because, you know, here I am, this, uh, I don't know, 17 year old uh, girl from St. Louis. Um, I knew that I was going to be taking, I knew where I was going to be taking classes. And that was like all I knew. I didn't know where I was going to live. <laughs> I didn't know what else I was going to do. Figured I probably was going to need some kind of job and I'd figure it out when I got there. So I get to Taipei in the middle of the night. It's like, man, I thought a St. Louis summer could be hot and humid. This was like St. Louis, New Orleans, Houston, like on steroids. It was like, oh my God, it's 3 a.m. And it's like, you know, 90 degrees and 80% humid. Humidity. And I, you know, knew that I was going to stay that first night at the YMCA. That was about all I knew. And, you know, I had to figure it out. I had to find a place to live and uh, found a part-time job teaching English. And it was a, it was a fascinating learning experience. And then I ended up going back um, and spending about a year there after I graduated. Were you studying Chinese language? Yeah, so I was in the foreign service school at Georgetown and I had studied Spanish in high school, but to uh, graduate, 
from the Foreign Service School, you had to pass a language proficiency test. And I thought, man, I do not want my graduation to be contingent on passing a proficiency test in Chinese. That sounds like a big roll of the dice. So I took a year of Spanish and I got through that. And then I really wanted to study Chinese. So I, I gave it a go. I have forgotten a lot of it since then. Was it Mandarin or Cantonese or it was both? it was Mandarin. Yeah. Okay. So the characters are the same, um, but the, uh, you know, spoken is completely different. So when I went to Hong Kong and, uh, you know, heard them speaking Cantonese, I, I had to write stuff down. Um, choice A would have been if they could speak English. Uh, choice B was to write things down because, uh, yeah, totally, totally different dialects. How many characters in that alphabet? Oh, my gosh. Thousands thousands it yeah. is a real yeah it's a I, real challenge i had enough trouble with spanish but nonetheless <laughs> so you uh you finished college uh where does your your career take you where does your life go from there so I finished college, I go to Taiwan, I spend a year there on a fellowship, which was truly, truly fascinating, working, going to school, realize when I'm over there, don't want to do the foreign service. So I come back to DC and I'm thinking, okay, um, I want to get into government relations. Um, the same thing that sounded interesting to me about the foreign service of kind of being that bridge builder, somebody who brings people together, um, sounded you know, interesting, sounded like government relations might be a good fit in, in terms of being kind of the intermediary between businesses and government. So there were probably any number of industries, you know, that might have been appealing to me. Um, but I stumbled upon AWO and the barge industry very much uh, by chance, like total serendipity. And again, didn't know anything about the barge industry, except that, you know, it existed in the place that I was from, St. Louis, which sounded pretty interesting. What I did not know um, when I got hired as, uh, you know, the uh, trade association equivalent of a green deckhand was that it was a time of total transformation in the industry. I literally started work at AWO the week that the Oil Pollution Act of 1990 was enacted into law. So that was a fascinating time to come into the industry. You know, it was the whole, that was basically the, the congressional response to the Exxon Valdez, um, didn't have anything to do with a tugboat or a barge, but it was just a transformation in the way that marine transportation, especially oil transportation, but really marine transportation generally was regulated in the US. So it was like just, getting in at the ground floor of a total transformation. And it was also a time of, you know, generational change in the industry. It was such a fork in the road that there were a lot of owners who, you know, had to kind of answer the question for themselves. Is this the industry that I want to be part of going forward or would now be a good time to maybe sell and go do something different? Um, so it was just really a fascinating fascinating time to come into the industry and you know i ended up just falling in love with it and you said that was 1990 that was 1990 yes so well, you and you spent 33 years with awo spent 33 years with awo in the intervening time i went back to grad school and got a master's in conflict resolution i got married i had three kids um and you know kind of at each point in my career where i you know was oh, is it is it time to do something different uh you know we were able to kind of 
morph and stretch and change my responsibilities. And I was able to keep making a contribution to an industry that, like I said, I just really kind of fell in love with. It's the best way to describe it. Well, what did you start out doing? Walk me through your, your career progression to now. Yeah, sure. So I started out as a government affairs assistant. I was brand new. Um, I was uh, basically supposed to be helping uh, review, uh, basically helping my boss, who was responsible for regulatory affairs, um, you know, manage this new regulatory portfolio uh, affecting the industry. So the Oil Pollution Act of 1990, like I mentioned, congressional response to these catastrophic spills required something like 80 rulemaking projects of the Coast Guard. It was like Coast Guard just basically go remake the way that vessels uh, carrying oil in the U.S. are regulated. And so, you know, I didn't know anything about anything. I knew how to, you know, I was, I was a good researcher and I was a pretty good writer, but uh, you know, I had no knowledge of anything. And so I'm there helping my boss and uh, just learning a lot of learning and, uh, and just kind of grew from there. So I became the manager of regulatory affairs and then the director of government affairs and then the vice president of regulatory affairs and eventually the senior vice president of government affairs and eventually the uh, uh, the executive vice president and finally the president of AWO. And that took me 33 years, um, but, uh, but it's been a heck of a ride. How long have you been president? Three years, three and a half okay. years, um, became president on January 1st, 2020 just in time for COVID. So talk about, uh, you know, getting into something at a dynamic time. If you can recall details of, of such things, tell me uh, about some industry changes you've, you've witnessed in 33 years. Oh, yeah. You know, Tim, and that is actually one of the things that has been so fascinating, gratifying about, you know, a long career in this industry is I'm, you know, a middle-aged person now, and I can look back and say, I remember when we were just starting on that, and we've seen that transition, and look where we were, and look where we are, you know, and I would say, let's start with safety, um, you know, man, um, the leadership that our industry showed in not only stepping up, to comply with a whole new set of regulations, but then asking ourselves, hey, where do we need to do things different and better? Um, and how do we make that happen? That's been fascinating. And I feel like, you know, the journey was kind of early stages of it, implementation of the Oil Pollution Act. You know, we had to kind of get in the mode of working with government. So before then, it was kind of like Coast Guard hands off, you know, we know what we're doing. We know how to run this. Do not tell us what to do. We know more about it than anybody for sure. But, you know, there was a realization in the industry, hey, the Coast Guard's got to write 80 new rules. Are we going to just let them do that on their own and hope they get it right? Or are we going to get in there and say, okay, you got to do this. Um, you know, we know something about this. Let's work together. And, you know, the results were much better because we did that. And so some of those lessons, like, yeah, you know, we can work to make things better and we can work with government and we're back to something I said at the beginning, we are not always going to agree, but, you know, we can come together and we can try to make things better than they would be otherwise. That same kind of thought process 
went into the development of the responsible carrier program in the early 90s, which was a, you know, industry developed safety management system, grew out of a terrible accident. And, you know, members saying, hey, what are we going to do to really make sure that we're running things as safely as we can? Um, the establishment of a formal partnership with the Coast Guard to look at how can we promote best practices um, for safety and environmental stewardship without waiting for an accident or a regulation all the way on through to, you know, this industry volunteering for what became subchapter M. And, you know, that was very much based in a desire to make the industry safer, but it was also really a cold, hard risk management calculus. It was like, hey, we are going to be better off, you know, if we can take some proactive action to position ourselves as inspected vessels, not as uninspected vessels, to do that when we can have a significant influence into how these regulations are going to look and not, you know, sort of be on the receiving end of a governmental response to an accident, which is never a position of strength. And so, man, when I look back and, uh, you know, imagine telling Jennifer, uh, you know, in August of 1990 that, uh, you know, 33 years later, um, all towing vessels are going to have COIs under something called subchapter M. And by the way, uh, that's going to be something that we signed up for. And if that was forced on us, I would have been like, man, are you nuts? But, you know, this industry is, uh, is safer than it's ever been. And that's fantastic for the people who work in it and everybody who uh, relies on us. Well, thank you for that. Walk me through a, a day in the life of the president of AWO. It's, it's busy and it's fun. I sort of look at, you know, my role as having kind of three main aspects to it. Say I'm the, the chief relationship officer, the lead advocate, and the facilitator of staff success. And I try to make sure that, you know, kind of those three parts of my portfolio are, are relatively balanced. So in terms of, you know, chief relationship officer, I work for AWO's members. And so it is just critically important that I am spending time with them, whether that's in person, you know, at their places of business, whether that's on a Zoom call like this, whether that's on the phone, just understanding what they're experiencing, what they're dealing with, what they need, trying to make sure that, you know, I understand not only what they need today, but what they're going to need so AWO can stay ahead of that. So a lot of time spent working with members to make sure that they're getting what they need from AWO. Lead advocate, you know, we've got a fantastic staff advocacy team who are over at the Coast Guard, who are on Capitol Hill, who are working with state governments day in and day out. But as the president, that is a fundamental part of my job too. So, you know, meeting with regulators, meeting with legislators, um, and telling the story of our industry, telling them what we need and why it matters. A piece of that is also telling our story in the public arena. So, you know, giving interviews, um, uh, talking, speaking at conferences, making sure, you know, that we are talking to the folks who need to understand 
what our industry does and why it's important. And, you know, as we do that, Tim, it's important. We don't just like talk to each other. We're talking to folks who really need to hear the story because they haven't heard it before. Sometimes they're receptive. Sometimes I did a, a interview earlier this year with, uh, you know, a guy who really wanted to do a hatchet job on the Jones Act. And it was like, okay, let me at it, you know, because that story is not going to be better um, if we don't show up and proudly tell our story. So, you know, that's, uh, yeah, I'll take one for the team. I'll take one for the team with pleasure because, you know, this is a story that needs to be told. And then the third piece, you know, facilitator of staff success. I got it. We had a fantastic team here who is so dedicated um, to working for AWO members. And I need to make sure that they have what they need. You know, they've got timely decisions where they need them. They've got the resources that they need um, that, uh, you know, they are supported and empowered to really go and do their jobs. How frequently are you interfacing with the Coast Guard personnel and potentially appearing maybe before Congress or, or do you do things to that level? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so uh, my colleague, Caitlin Stewart, is our VP for Regulatory Affairs, and she does a fantastic job. Members of her team, our regional team, are interfacing with the Coast Guard every day. But that is a very important part of my job, too, is, you know, building and maintaining those relationships. And a good thing about, you know, being kind of an old timer now is having had the opportunity to build relationships over a period of time. So working with admirals that were lieutenant commanders, you know, when we started working together. And uh, you always want in uh, the advocacy business to make sure that, you know, you have open communications channels and you have relationships in place before you quote, need them. You don't wanna go talk to somebody, whether it's a Coast Guard Admiral, a member of Congress and say, hey, we got a problem and we need your help in fixing it. And, you know, they're like, who are you? I've never met you before. Um, that goes much better when there's a good foundation. So we spend a lot of time trying to lay those foundations, make sure we have the relationships in place so that when we do need each other, uh, you know, we can pick up the phone and say, hey, you know, this is Jennifer. We're on a first name basis. And man, we really got a situation with this low water. Uh, you know, we we, uh, we need much more uh, expeditious, uh, you know, placement of buoys or whatever it is. Hey, we've got a We've got a situation here that would really benefit. Your team's doing a great job. We've got a situation where, uh, you know, your personal attention is is needed. And we do the same thing, Tim, on Capitol Hill. You know, right now we've got literally 82 new members of the House and Senate who uh, were elected the first time last November, uh, you know, out of 535. That is a big percentage. And so we got to get in there and tell them who the tugboat, towboat and barge industry is, why it matters to their state and their district. That's great fun. And as you can see, I love the industry. I'm passionate about it. And so it just, you know, I feel like, man, this is this is a dream job going in and telling them something cool that they need to know, but may well not. What was one of the most uh, astonishing or surprising things when you found yourself involved in this industry? Oh, geez. You know, I think how important it is and how much of what it does 
we just people don't see in the course of their everyday life right so we've all been on the highway behind the you know long line of semi trucks we've all been stopped at you know the railroad crossing uh you know i was lucky enough to grow grow up in st louis um you know there's a lot of people who don't live anywhere near them they just don't know you know like how does this happen so i felt like you know kind of discovering this industry was you know it was kind of like finding a buried treasure and then you know you sort of I'm mixing metaphors now, but you peel back the layers. So it's not only, oh, this is this industry that I didn't understand at all that does all of this really important stuff, whether it's you know moving agricultural commodities for export or moving the petrochemicals that keep the lights on, but then just like meeting the people and realizing, you know, wow, what an amazing group of individuals it is who make this industry go. Um, you know, just their passion, their knowledge, their love for what they do. Uh, you know, it's infectious, and so you know that began to then make my uh my mission my job here you know personal because it's not only i believe in what this industry does but it's also oh yeah you know i want to be working to you know protect advance the interests of support uh the people of this industry whether that's the folks on the boats the folks in the office the folks shore side because man they're doing great stuff and it's a privilege and a pleasure to work for them what's the biggest success you think you've you've been a part of over the years Oh, wow. Good, good question. I mean, I, I think I would have to say um, supporting the industry's uh, evolution from a safety standpoint and through uh, advocacy and leadership that enabled sort of that transformation to take place in an orderly way. You know, even it was up, the industry has evolved. It is not the same industry that it was, you know, in 1990. And, you know, I'm not minimizing the challenges, hiccups, hurdles, expense, you know, everything that went into, um, you know, getting this, getting to where we are today. Um, but when you sort of step back, it's like, man, you know, big picture, that went really well you know this industry really presided over its own transformation did it in an orderly way that you know kept customers cargo move wasn't like oh man you know we're gonna have just a a stop work here because we are so busy trying to implement subchapter m or we're so it was like no you know we're gonna be able to carry out the mission better because we are leveling up from a safety standpoint. So that's been that's been really cool. I'm also extremely proud of how our industry has really raised its profile and reputation in Washington um, on Capitol Hill with the agencies. You know, I think that our industry is increasingly understood and respected as a safety leader, as a sustainability leader, the most, you know, environmentally uh, efficient way to move bulk commodities. Um, we are recognized as good guys. We are recognized as part of the solution to so many things, you know, and that didn't happen automatically. It happened because we as an industry, you know, um, 
put in the effort to build relationships and keep building them. And, you know, sometimes people are, God, when can we stop doing this? Never, um, you know, because it is a constant crop of new decision makers who need to understand. And, uh, you know, we've been able to do that over time, but, but really level up. And so I'm really proud of the reputation um, that our industry has been able to build. It's deserved. Um, we, we did the work and we told the story. And it's like, you gotta do both, right? You know, you, you can't like, the story is hollow if you're telling it and there's no there there. We're saying we're great and you know, we're okay. That's not good. But it's also kind of a tree falling in the forest if you're doing all the work on the safety and the sustainability side, but nobody knows about it. Well, it's better than not having it happen, but it's not delivering maximum results. Well, it would certainly seem you're at least mildly interested in what you do for a living. But uh, as president and CEO of AWO, are you at the top of the hill? Is this where you want to retire? Or what's what's the future of your career? Oh, man. So I don't know. Um, I'm not retiring anytime soon. I got three kids. Um, and uh, yeah, none of them are done with school yet. So uh, I think I got quite a few working years ahead of me. Um, I love, it has been really cool over the last three years to feel like, you know, I am able to, I'm in a position to take lessons learned, to take experience from earlier in my career and, you know, give back to the industry, to the AWO staff. I'm, I'm in a position to do more, you know, because of the job that I'm really blessed to have. So right now, um, you know, I feel like uh, I've got my dream job and I look forward to continuing to do that and, you know, continuing to level up. I mean, that's kind of a theme too. It's like, you just gotta, you know, you got to keep moving forward or you fall behind, you know? I mean, that's true as an industry. That's true in the advocacy arena. So I don't look at it as, oh, you know, I, I got my dream job. I, I'm, I'm the president of AWO and I'm so thankful for that. I am so thankful for that. But, uh, you know, that's not like, so here I sit. It's like, here we go. You know, <laughs> like, let's keep, let's keep climbing. And I'm, I'm really energized by the challenges ahead. You're telling me. Um <laughs> So before we jump to some some chat about your family and things like that on the personal side, uh, is there a message you would you would have for a brand new green deckhand or a brand new pilot in a, in a wheelhouse that really may not know anything about AWO? Yeah, you know, I would say you are doing incredibly important work in an industry that can give you a fantastic career and AWO is here, you know, to support you, to support this industry um, as we go forward. So AWO is here to try to make things better for the whole industry. And I would say, you know, I would want them to understand, you know, we're working we're working for you. We want you to be able to, you know, go get your, when you're ready to go get your license, whether that's your tankerman's ticket or you're moving up into the wheelhouse, you know, we are going to be working. So that is an efficient, <laughs> smooth process. 
and you're not getting you're not getting hung up. You know, we are working, so you're not dealing with crazy red tape. You go get a twick, and you're you know spending four hours four hours out of your life driving around doing this. You know, if there are things that are making it difficult for you to do your job, you know, man, I hope you're talking with the folks at your company about that, and they're sharing those with AWO so we can work on those because you know this industry is about people, and you know we can't, the industry can't do what it does without you being able to do your job. And so if there's things that are getting in the way of that, man, that's, that's what AWO is here to work on. That's what we're here to help. And how best might a Mariner contact your organization, your team, should they have concerns or questions or anything? So, you know, I mean, I would encourage folks, every company is different. So I would encourage folks, you know, talk to talk to folks in your organization um, and kind of see what makes sense, what makes sense for them. I mean, we're happy to take questions from and try to help any employee of an AWO member company. But, you know, if you see an opportunity there, so, you know, we always say to uh, our member representatives, hey, bring a marriage along to an AWO meeting. Hey, we're doing a virtual meeting. Blast this out. So folks on the boats, so folks who, uh, you know, can't tune in at 2 p.m. on Thursday, you know, can watch this at their leisure. So different different companies have different ways of doing things, and I want to respect what that is. I would want, uh, you know, all Mariners, all employees of AWO members to know, like, AWO is here for all of you. It's not like the benefits of membership you know, are for one per, you know, are for your VP of HR or your director of operations or, you know, who have, no, you know, we're here to support this company, this industry. So talk to who you need to internally, find out how you can get plugged in. We, uh, we love to have members with, you know, kind of multiple uh, individuals, multiple team members involved on our work, because we get so much perspective that way, you know? What sorts of uh, issues, industry issues that we're facing are being addressed now in in government? And uh, like what, what's, I guess, I don't know if it's project based or sort of topic based, but what sorts of things is your team working on now? Yeah, so um, I'll, I'll name a couple. Um, sustainability. So a lot of focus on environmental issues. Um, and, you know, that's something that's going to continue because that's not only being driven, that's not being driven just by like one party in Washington. That's something that, uh, you know, is being driven by industry customers and it's going to be really important. So we're taking kind of a three-step approach to that, you know, big picture. Barge transportation is the most environmentally beneficial way to move goods. So if we want to help the environment, you know, step one, let's maximize the amount of cargo we move on the water. That's kind of low hanging fruit. You know, step two, let's make sure that the marine transportation system is operating as efficiently as possible. You know, if we are queued up at locks, burning fuel um, because we've got old, outdated, inefficient structures on the river, that's not good environmentally any more than it is good economically. So let's make sure that you know infrastructure dollars are really being invested um, so that we can move smoothly and efficiently through the system. And then the third piece is really you know supporting companies in kind of taking the next step, whatever their business drivers are. So you know there are companies that are 
experimenting with alternative fuels and we need to help them and make sure that you know they're not dealing with uh coast guard regulations of yesteryear that are making it hard for them you know to innovate and to do new things at the same time we need to recognize you know if you're moving rocks on the cumberland river uh you may not have a customer who says oh you know i'm gonna invest in a you know methanol to hydrogen towboat um but uh you know you could take the the next step of going from a tier one to a tier three engine, that could be tremendously helpful to the environmental footprint of the whole industry. What support do you need? Um, how can AWO help make sure that there is funding, there are resources that will help you to do that? So we want to kind of meet and support AWO members where they are. Um, personnel and workforce is another big issue. So, you know, we had a long-term need to make sure that we've got a great pipeline of people coming into this industry to work on vessels, to work shoreside. That's important to, you know, national and homeland security. It's important to keeping the industry moving. So how can we support members in telling the industry story? How can we partner uh, with other organizations that are working in this area so that folks know um, this is a fantastic career path. How can we uh, work with the Coast Guard, with Congress, to make sure that there aren't, uh, you know, barriers and obstacles along the way that just really discourage and frustrate people? You know, so I mentioned licensing and credentialing earlier. You know, and we just. God, you don't want to have somebody who's on their, you know, fourth issue of their license finally just say, forget it. You know, this is, I don't need this anymore. This is driving me nuts. Um, they're, they deserve a better and more efficient system. Um, so working on those kinds of issues, I think, you know, we were dealing with a real acute personnel shortage. Uh, you know, mid to late last year, I'm hearing from some members that uh, some of that acute pressure is abating in some areas. Um, that's great. But we got a long term need here. So I think this is something as AWO, we're going to stay, we're going to stay focused on we're not gonna, you know, six months from now say, ah, got that personnel thing, you know, checked off, we're good. I know it's, it's a system wide issue. But what, uh, what sorts of things are you seeing system wide industry wide that are, are causing crewing issues for us? Yeah, you know, so I think we had we had a lot of challenges kind of in the COVID and emerging post-COVID environment where, you know, we had some folks who left the industry, um, either, uh, you know, just didn't want to be on a boat with other people um, and didn't feel like that was the safest choice for them. We had folks who were like, hey, I want to go in business on my own. You know, my brother and I, brother-in-law and I are going to start a construction company or so, yeah, just kind of looking at, looking at new opportunities. So we had some folks who left the industry and then we have, you know, the challenge, we've got a workforce sort of a demographic uh, workforce challenge in this country generally. You hear about this, you know, from just industries across the board. So we face some of those same challenges that everybody else does, um, but we've got special challenges. You know, you and I both know all the things that make this such a cool place to make a living, but not everybody you know, wants to be on a boat. Not everybody wants to be deployed for a period of time. So we need to understand, you know, that uh, 
We're going to have to deal with the same workforce challenges everybody else. And then we've got a unique lifestyle, which can be really awesome. It can be a selling point. Um, it's not going to be for everybody, but it is going to, it can be a selling point and we got to get out and tell that story. All right. Jumping over to family. Tell me about uh, what did your husband do for a living and tell me about your children. So my husband uh, works for the government. He works, uh, he's a lawyer here in DC. I got three kids, uh, 19, 17, and 15. Um, my oldest son is a freshman in college. My middle guy is junior in high school. And baby girl is not a baby girl. She's a 15-year-old freshman in high school. What is your oldest studying? He is studying history. So this is pretty funny because we've actually talked about the marine industry his dream job actually would be to be a history teacher or professor. Um, and I think he'd be fantastic at that. You know, he loves to teach. He's a history nerd. He's got a real passion for it. Um, but every now and then, you know, he'll be like, I don't know, you know, the academic job market, it's rough. I'm like, hey, consider the marine industry, you know? You're, you're not on a boat all the time. You can walk out on your history stuff and then you can get on a boat and make some money. So we'll see. Um, but uh, yeah, history is what he's studying now. Do you expect the younger two to possibly to follow in your footsteps? Do you see a, a passion for collaboration in any of them? It's going to be really interesting to see what they all do. I do feel like Chris is kind of a natural teacher. Um, my middle son, he, he's an awesome kid, just a very, you know, just like a really thoughtful, creative person. Um, he is 17 years old. He's got no idea what he wants to do with the rest of his life. I totally get that. So I don't know what he's going to do, but I know he's going to be great. And it's going to be fun to just kind of be part of, uh, you know, helping him figure out what it is. I think my daughter, uh, man, she's 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 a future CEO. Um, she is, uh, you know, 15 and man, she could she can whip all kinds of chaos into shape. So <laughs> we'll see what that looks like. Well, good for them and good for you. Um... Not that you have not said enough in this conversation uh, by any means, but do you have any, any sort of final thoughts, closing thoughts for the industry for anybody that might be listening or watching? Oh man, you know, I guess I would just say, I feel so blessed, privileged, just delighted to be part of this industry. And, you know, that's what I would want people to hear is just, uh, you know, like what you do is important, it matters, it is inspiring to others. You know, you may not have met me, but I'm inspired by what you do. And, you know, just the sort of what we can do when we work together. I mean, when I look at the things, that, the, how far we have come in this industry, um, you know, because people kind of like rolled up their sleeves and worked together and you know things don't happen automatically things happen because people work hard and make them happen but when you come together and you work hard dang yeah you really can get great stuff done so those would be a few things i just want people to know well jennifer i do appreciate your time today i'm glad we could finally make this work oh tim thanks so much it's been a pleasure um thanks for the opportunity to be part of it everybody out there stay safe absolutely